1: Download the
0: Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Yeah, we're into double figures, people. Hey, everybody. Larry Morgan here with Snark Monkey number 10. Joni Fagan and Sarah Tiana, two stand-up comics who have never met before this day, and so it ended up being a really cool episode. Very funny and very insightful. And here's the deal. What I had originally done... The idea was to invite a bunch of different stand-ups in to have this kind of group session to talk about what life is like now in the stand-up world. Uh, Life on the road, life in the clubs, you know, just to kind of get some insight into it because I've always been fascinated with the world of stand-ups. One, because I think when it's done really well, it is an art form that is uh, something to marvel at. I love stand-up comedians when they are good. And both of these ladies are. And I also am fascinated because it's something that I would never try in a million years. Are you crazy going up alone on stage and with the possibility of bombing on any given night and never knowing what the audience is going to be like and the travel and the thing and the oi? So I admire them from that standpoint as well. So I invited a bunch, and considering the fact that stand-ups have wacky schedules and they're working weird hours and they're not always the most reliable people in the world, and I say that with all due respect, uh, I got four yeses and then two of them showed up. And it turned out to be Joni and Sarah. But you know what? Fortuitous, because they come from different backgrounds, different eras, have worked with different people, do very different kinds of material and also happened to both be women. So we didn't necessarily turn it into a, you know, female comic in a male-dominated world, but we touch on that a little bit, and all of it's really fascinating, and they're very funny, and I thought it was cool for them to kind of meet each other as well. So I, I really enjoyed this episode, and I think it gives you a little insight into the stand-up world, and I, both of these ladies uh, do very good work. In very different ways. So I think you'll enjoy this. So check it out. Also, I should mention this one caveat to this episode. We recorded this mid-November. So all the dates we talk about upcoming, especially for Joni's group, um, she's part of a threesome called Three Blonde Moms that goes and plays theaters around the country. Joni also does solo stand-up as well, and she plugs a, uh, a date that has already passed. So for those of you who are listening in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, or in that vicinity, and if you miss them, I apologize. Uh, but you can always check out their dates. They have their own websites, uh, threeblondmoms.com, blondmomscom Tiana.com. Sarah also posts her stand-up dates on her Twitter account, at Tiana. All that information is on the Snark Monkey website. And also, if you're listening on iTunes, just look for the description. And it's there at the bottom. All right? So check them out. Try and see them when you can. Sarah plays the comedy store here in town quite a bit. And when I say here in town, I'm, of course, talking about Hollywood. (laughs) What the hell was that? All right. Let's get to it. Because these two are way funnier than I am, obviously. All right. Snark Monkey number 10. Joni Fagan and Sarah Tiana. Up a little bit. Just uh, yeah. wake up. Yeah. Did you work last night? Of course I
0: did. <laughs> yeah. I had two shows last night. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Working comics, man. I don't know how you guys. I
0: got up at ten, and then I go for a walk, and then I—that's how I wake up. No, I'm not
2: saying com- you're lazy. Don't don't get defensive uh, right away. No,
0: not defensive. I'm just telling you that it just take me a while to wake up. Yeah, me too. Get my brain going.
2: Definitely not a morning person. Joan, let's start with you because. Sure. How long have you been doing? Stand-up? Oh my goodness! Can you, do you mind giving years? No, at?
1: I would say uh, twenty-five years. Probably oh, wow. twenty-five. Yeah. So you came in. What,
2: what, what year did you come? Teens.
1: In? I was watching, like in my teens, but in like high school, I would do drama festivals and stuff and acting. And then I started. Actually, you mentioned Paul Feig earlier. I was at Harvey Lambeck's comedy workshop with him for five years. There. When was this? Uh, I don't know, but Sharon Stone was in my class. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Interesting. A couple years Sharon's, ago. A couple years ago. A couple
1: years ago. Because when you think comedy,
2: you, you think Sharon Stone. I
1: know. I know. I know.
0: But it was an it acting was, class.
1: Yeah. Harvey oh. Olympics Comedy Workshop. It's oh. a really open-ended improvisation. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the Groundlings. And that's where I started kind of developing my perky stage persona. Which <laughs> yes. took me a long way.
2: Because Joan is part of uh, Three Blonde Moms, that's one of the, the that's the act that you guys kind of get a lot of attention around, but you've also been doing solo stand up and still continue to do right. that.
1: Right. Started doing stand up. I was I'd sneak into the comedy store actually and watch, you know. And then Oh,
2: who were you seeing at the time? Kennison,
1: <laughs> Sam Kennison. Oh my god. Totally just like me. No. I'm just <laughs> me. <laughs>
2: You're the female Kinison?
1: I am totally the female with the beret.
2: Give us a sense of Kennison at that time. Was this like peak Kinnison or before he hit or a peak? Yeah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it was so – he was a rock star. And it was like a rock show. And people were piling in there to see just him. Right. And I
1: see everybody like – I'll see everybody first, you know, like Andrew Dice Clay or whatever and just uh, see how that is. But Kenison, his material was so thoughtful and brilliant and hysterical. Yeah. He was really a genius, you know. Yeah, because he had the
2: reputation to be the loud guy and the shouting guy. But everything he did was – some of the smartest stuff that was so, being yeah, done around totally that time. Yeah, totally
1: brilliant. And then Bobcat yelled a lot, and then
2: <laughs> he was a little more screechy. Who, so who would you say were influencing you around that time? That when you, I was
1: a teenager, I was in the Catskills with my parents, which true. is the East Coast. I know <laughs> not many people could say that. I don't want to brag. But um, I, Joan Rivers. I was an early teenager and I was laughing so hard and I thought, what is this? And then when I was really, really little, I would watch reruns of like the Carol Burnett show with Tim Conway and Harvey Korman and I just – that – was unbelievable to me. And so that was kind of my early, really early inspiration. And then I always saw things from the irony of, you know, the flip side of things. I always saw Mm -hmm. things in the funny way, you know, in high school and stuff. And I'd write notes to people because this was pre-texting. like (laughs) And so I'd write notes. Wait, I'm
2: sorry. What is this? You It's some sort of writing implement? It's called a pen. Oh, interesting. And then there's
1: paper. And then you you apply. Apply the pen to the paper, and this ink comes out. So strange to me. I, I know, and I would. Did write you dip notes. it in the ink? Was it, I did. did it I, did, have I a had a big feather. feather. <laughs> <laughs> it you was might a quill. know some of my teachers were Lincoln, and <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. I well, you back. studied with the
2: best. I did. He uh. was hysterical.
1: <laughs> that hat. Woo! <laughs> he pulled a rabbit
0: out of it. He did rabbits. Yeah. No, a lot of people know that. Is that no, what that's... was in there? Yeah, yeah. There was what was the reason and for the stovepipe? Like one of the a law, the law book and a rabbit. all he carried. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Boy, no, a lot of people don't.
2: Inside stuff about Lincoln. That's you true. get the rail splitter thing. You get the walk the mile to return a book, but you never hear about the rabbit and the uh, and the law book yeah. in the hat.
1: Well, he had to make a living in the early years, mm-hmm. and so he'd do like you know door to door comedy. We to, all to comedy. start somewhere. Exactly. Door to door comedy. Door to door comedy. <laughs> he'd get in the wagon.
2: <laughs> Hello, uh, ma'am. Are you the lady of the house? Yeah, can, really... can I tell you a couple of jokes?
1: Quick, that's... put your hand in my hat. <laughs> Oops, oh, didn't expect that.
2: So, what was your first? What would you consider your first professional stand-up gig? Where was it? Oh,
1: stand-up. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, or in the were early nineties, were you doing more
2: acting and, and, and trying I, to kind of break in that way?
1: Well, acting definitely was my roots. You know, I studied with some serious <laughs> Strasberg and Nina Foch, oh, wow. if you remember. Yeah. And I mean, did I you was, study with Lee Strasberg? No, no. Oh, okay. Hetty, and she. I'm sorry. Would, no matter what scene I had, she would laugh. Hetty. <laughs> so I knew her name was Hetty. Oh, and wow. so she was she's still there, I think. Headley. Yeah, Headley in Britain. Uh <laughs> she just would laugh. Like they'd give you like be a bathtub filling with hot water. <laughs> I I would just like and she just everyone would start laughing at me. Yeah. You know, and there were people that were seriously that bathtub filling with hot water. But and I committed to it, but they would just laugh anyway. So I sort of knew the path I was probably going down. Right. And then um started doing commercials. I did a lot of commercials and um then it was the early 90s when comedy was just everywhere.
2: Yeah, that was yeah. kind of the – I guess that was the end of the glut, right? Because late 80s, I mean, every 80s, yeah. every bad bar had a tiny little riser in the corner and had a comedy night.
1: And I booked half of them. <laughs> I literally booked those rooms. What? Like within an hour radius, like Temecula, Simi Valley, I would book these one-nighters – And I'd host them, so I would get stage time, and then I'd meet the headliners, and they'd take me on the road. So my first gig was in Little Rock, Arkansas, opening for Jeff Gerbino. That was my first, like, road gig. And then I started at the store, but then I ended up migrating over to the improv. So then they had me host a lot of shows at the improv. That was
0: kind of my path.
2: So who were the people, some of the other people coming up around the same time that you were kind of in the the mix with?
0: Judd Apatow. Oh, wow. He's coming. He's back now. He's, is he He's doing been stand-up doing stand-up again, again. Yeah. Where's he been going out? At the store I see him at the store uh, Is he Like good? once or twice a week Is he? No, he is really good yeah. I I hadn't heard uh, You know I w- I'd heard mixed things And then I saw him And I was like Oh, it's really funny. Been funny Yeah, really good
2: because he made the big deal about saying that he was kind of around all these really funny people, but he was always kind of a middling comic. And so he he backed he recognized that right away. Everybody else is funnier than me. I'm going to go write this stuff down as opposed to perform it. Mm-hmm. But he's back at it's it always, again. He's
0: back at it. And I think he has like a new um, excitement about it. So it's definitely coming from a different point of yeah. view. And then also now that he's so famous and wealthy, like a lot of stuff is about that, about like how people are like – so angry at you on Twitter. Like, he talks about social media. He talks about his wife, you know, how she oh, tunes yeah. him into <laughs> terrible things, you know. Like, he doesn't <laughs> notice someone being loud and chomping their food, and then she tells him about it, and then now he can't get it out of his mind. you know. So, <laughs> stuff like stuff like that. It's, like, very... It's it's really fun. Interesting. Yeah, it's fun to see him.
2: Who else was coming up around that time? I was... Joni?
1: <coughs> well, I was right behind... <coughs> excuse me. Kathy Griffin at the Groundlings. Like, Kathy Griffin was just ahead of me so at the Groundlings, but that's, like, improv and stuff. But right. stand-up comedy, oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. Like, Rosie was just ahead of me. You know, Ellen was just ahead of me. You know.
2: Um, but a great Paula, time. I mean, yeah. Yeah.
1: Paula totally, was Paula. Paula yeah. yeah. Sandra. I was, like, right behind. Yeah, Sandra. She was one... Then she was just ahead
0: of. It's so funny <laughs> Rosie. the classes you still like. You're like, oh, my class was this people, and then like the class ahead of me is this people, and yeah, it's it so was, funny uh, how you remember that. The like,
2: generational. Well, what about you, Sarah? You, you're from Georgia. Yeah, you're Southern I'm from yeah. Calhoun, Georgia. Calhoun. We have a
0: Nike outlet. Yeah, it's a very big deal. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. How long has it been there? Um, well, we got it when I was 15, so it's been there. 21 years. Is
2: it the most popular thing in Calhoun, Georgia?
0: Um, pretty much. It was at the time because we had, didn't have a mall, so we got an outlet mall, and it was a pretty big deal. Then we got a sit-down restaurant, so things just started popping up <laughs> as soon as that outlet mall came in.
2: How often do you go to Calhoun?
0: Um, Now I don't really go as much anymore because my parents don't leave, live there, um, but my sister still lives uh, near there, so I guess maybe once a year every two years or something
2: so how does a little girl in calhoun georgia (laughs) come up with the idea of being a stand-up or is Uh, it just an idea of i need to get the hell out of calhoun georgia
0: it was more i like moved to la to be an actress i went like studied theater in paris when i was in college so you
2: did the intense acting study like Mm jones talking about did you ever have to be a bathtub no
0: (laughs) no 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 (laughs) Tonight I have to be, I think, at a show. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, well, I'm on Suicide Watch because I'm a comic. But um, no, I uh, oh I I just moved out here to be an actress and I couldn't catch a cold. And then I was like DJing weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff. Oh, and wow. uh, this guy that I was working with was like, you're so funny. You have to do stand up. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. I didn't know that was a thing that people. i had seen it once because I worked in radio in Georgia and in college and like, we would interview the comics that came through the punchline, and Mitch Hedberg was the first person to ever give me tickets to a show, so that was, like, the only comedy show I'd ever seen. But I still didn't connect it as something that, like... But well, you were
2: aware of it. I mean, it was on TV. I and, was aware of yeah. it, but
0: I didn't really know like a, anything. Like, it was a job? You I didn't, didn't think realize, of it that way? I, no. I thought, like, I thought that Rosie Roseanne, like... You know, started stand up after her TV show. I didn't realize that that was the process. So I, I really went into it just like going, like, oh, I like being on stage. I've been in plays my whole life. It's very comfortable for me to be up here. And I wrote a joke based on like something I saw in the news, and that joke carried me for like quite a while.
2: What was it? Do you remember the? <laughs> j- yeah, the course joke course was do.
0: about um, a guy who like shot himself with a nail gun in the head. <laughs> And it's a long joke, but it basically the gist is, well, I wouldn't be able to feel three and a half inches if I got nailed, so what's the big deal? And, um, <laughs> you know, that, that joke kind of like carried me as my closer for like six months, and I just kept getting asked to do other shows and never really thought about it as a job And then until people just kept telling me that I should be doing it more. Okay. So it was something that found me. It was not something that I was looking for.
2: Did you, but but there must have been, and for both of you, there must have been that little moment of... I'm making people laugh, and you feel that thing inside where you're yeah. going, oh. I mean, did the, did the switch get flipped at some yeah. point for, for you? Me,
0: yeah, I me, yeah. I was about to move back to Georgia. I was giving up on L.A. You were out here. I'd been out here almost three years. That three-year mark is like, you got to get past that three-year mark, and then you're good.
2: It Was it open mics and just going up I was up doing anywhere. open
0: mics, but not very often, yeah. like maybe once or twice a month. And then... Um, so I, I packed up all my bags and I was like moving away and bef- I was tired so I went to go see a movie here at the Sherman Oaks Galleria and uh, the movie I wanted to see wasn't playing but Jerry Seinfeld's movie comedian was playing that ah. documentary that came out and we're all sitting in the theater, it's like an afternoon show and I was like oh I'll go see this movie because I've done some stand up. And everyone's laughing and I'm crying. <laughs> I was like, all right, I have to stay. I went home and unpacked my bag so I was like, this is a sign.
2: What was it? What was it? Because that movie's pretty I, inside. I mean, it's it's they really get into nitty gritty and he talks with some, I mean, Leno's in there kind of analyzing stuff. It's, it's so interesting watching funny people not be funny and pick yeah, comedy apart. I think
0: what happened is that it showed the unglamorous side. Mm. So I think when you do stand up, you see the glamorous side of it and, you know, people think like, oh, I'm funny, you know, like people, Come up to you after the show, like, people always told me I was funny. You know, I'm like, cool. Yeah, no one ever told me I was. So I don't know what the process is, and everyone's process is different. But I think it showed the unglamorous side, and I really related to that of like that struggle. And in the whole movie, he's like starting from scratch with new material after he's thrown 20 years worth of material away. And I think because he was, like, my favorite comic and I loved that TV show, just seeing the process and realizing that I was going through that same process, because literally I was starting with nothing, too, but I didn't have 20 years of a career behind me. Right. So, and then seeing Orny, you know, go through everything, too. Orny Adams? Yeah, you just realize, like, like, and it's so funny that now, you know, I know all of those people that I was, like, watching on this movie that changed my life, so... Yeah, it's just one thing after another. I and think
2: then. that's this is one of the first times I've heard a stand-up say that that a that a movie basically yeah. kind of did that for them because usually it's this kind of moment on stage. I mean, Joan, did you have that moment? Was it an on stage thing where people were laughing, or was it a, as a kid thing people were laughing that was something you did and you went and you made the connection there.
1: Yeah, actually, it was to avoid getting bullied in junior that high school. That happens a lot, yeah. I literally, there was this, a bully who just friended me on Facebook,
2: by the way. Yep.
1: I told, yeah. Jeff I was, I was like, list. I don't know, I don't know if I should
2: accept. What did you do? Are you going to? I accepted.
1: Okay. It was a girl, and she would try to bully me, and I would just turn it on you know and just she would laugh so hard she'd go I can't I can't this you're making I'm cracking up Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding that was like one of my survival methods and then I'd just make my family laugh and not like on purpose I just had fun and was making people laugh and the acting definitely was my roots you know but um I felt that laughter feeling at the comedy workshops when I was doing improv so I got that before I even started doing stand-up where I, the rhythm and the timing and all that kind of stuff, and then just landing the thing and getting the laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in my comedy workshops first. And then I started just writing. I had five minutes I wrote. And, and then I remember I did my first five minutes at Igby's. And he said, Tell, let me know when you have 10. I'm like, 10 <laughs> I
0: know. <laughs> right? I was Does like, that seem insurmountable oh, It was early unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Early oh, yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I got three minutes the first time I went up, and I probably did four minutes worth of material in 90 seconds like i was so nervous just Just jam through (laughs) it yeah of course yeah um but then you know i think you're you really get into a stride in comedy when you get comfortable with the silence yeah because that's when you really feel like you are in control because you at the beginning you're afraid when people are quiet because that means they're not laughing right but then, once you realize how funny you are, and once your material gets stronger, you anticipate the quiet, so that when you give them the punchline, their reaction is so much bigger.
2: That's interesting because you—you guys actually come f- at it from a different pace. Because uh, Joan has always kind of she's been perky; she's perky mom mm-hmm. right now, and mm-hmm. she also like. Uh, early on. I've seen a lot of your early stuff. The annoying, really happy lady uh, thing that you do. And Sarah is... She's got that Georgia thing and and Uh it's this kind of lackadaisical pace Mm -hmm. and it's letting stuff sink in before you kind of follow it with something. So you you have your own rhythm. It's a personal rhythm, but then you... Then you explode it a little bit. I think
0: that's what's so great about comedy. And I think that's why so many people think that they can do it, is because when you're really good at it, it looks effortless. But it is a very difficult science. And I think it's like, uh, but everybody's process is so different. Like everyone's writing process. And that was one thing that I had to learn too. It's like just because. You know, so and so writes every day it doesn't mean I have to write every day. Like, some people go and sit in a coffee shop and write for two hours, and I can't do that. Like, that doesn't help me. I have to watch and explore life and go on a walk and, like, let things marinate, and then I just talk about them on stage. And,
2: well, because that is very different than what Seinfeld talks about yeah. and, and still talks about to this day. He, because he derides people who are like, just let it come to them. And it's like, no, you sit down, yeah. you have a rigid, you know. Yeah, he has a or-
0: Stephen King approach to it. And <laughs> I, King. and yeah. I, it's uh, a no. dis- it really him. is yeah. a discipline and I and I, and I totally that. get that yeah but it doesn't work for me it doesn't it I I feel restrained and I feel like it's a job and it's not fun and for me I have to have fun with it and which means I have to go out and live life and that's the only way I can my my comedy is all about relationships and men and women, I'm always trying to help men get laid more because they get in their own way. And like, um, thank you. I just, you know, <laughs> like I help spe- me speaking
2: on behalf of, of have the sex males. Help <laughs>
0: me. It's more of a service really. Yeah. <laughs> help you get me, um, you know, like there's that whole thing. So I just, you know, like I, I feel like I have to go out there and kind of be a guinea pig at times and, you know, go on dates or just watch, you know, I think that's what happens. Like I think as a stand up, like, people ask me what I do for a living. And I'm like, I just talk about things that other people don't notice. Like, that's my job is, is to notice things that people don't notice. There'll be a guy walking down the street with like a mohawk and chains in his face and tattoos. And I'll notice that he's wearing sketchers. That's my job. My job is to notice the thing that doesn't stick out <laughs> right. and to comment on it and make people realize, yeah. you know, the insanity of that.
2: Now, Joan, you come from more of a, I think, a writing standpoint, especially with Three Blonde Moms. That's a very structured show, and that's three ladies who have their own style and their own kind of their own thing, and you have defined roles in that. But that – so that has to be a little bit more of a written thing, right? More
1: structured. Like the format of the show is definite You know, all the time. It's definitely formatted. But I completely relate to what you're saying because it does have to feel like I've lived it and then I can talk about it. And then you do write down the jokes like at the end, like what works and what doesn't work if you can edit. I used to write a lot more than I did in the beginning. I used to write more but not – I feel exactly how you feel about it. It's got to come to me, which is how Three Blonde Moms was inspired because I'd been doing stand-up and I was doing material you know and I'd get laughs and you know they'd laugh haha but when I became a mom just like that. Ha-ha. Like, that's my audience. Mm-hmm. No. That, that like, was... Ha-ha. Yeah, ha-ha. Just ha-ha. ha-ha. Oh, puff. Mm. <laughs> very hooty-tooty. Mm. Yeah. What sort of crowds do you do very you well doing? in England. Fun- <laughs>
2: fundraisers, perhaps? Yeah, fundraisers, yeah. yes. Skills.
1: They write checks. It's fabulous. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was like funny material, but when I became a mom, I started talking about real stuff. Right. You know, like what I was really going through. And I literally remember being in Las Vegas on stage and
0: seeing the audience lean in. Right. Yeah, like that. Quiet, a, like they were listening. Yeah, and it was connecting. I think, I think as a comic, you realize that because I, t- I talk about this sometimes uh, amongst my friends. Just like how, like I think when you start out, like you're a really great uh, co- uh, joke writer and you're a good stand up, and then you become a comic. And when you become a comic, is when you start making everything really personable, and uh, and you're very vulnerable. And until I went through a big breakup. And I had to go into therapy because I was like, why am I dating all these assholes? And then I was like, oh, I'm the asshole because I'm picking them. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then through therapy, I realized a lot about myself, like where my stand up came from and like why I became a stand up, you know, because I was kind of always an outsider growing up. I had tons of friends, which I still do now, but I didn't belong to any one group, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, so you're yeah. kind of always looking in. Like mm-hmm. everybody likes me, mm-hmm. but I don't fit into just one group. I fit yeah. into so many. So you just become a natural observer because even even though you're in all these groups, you're not in them. You're like not the foundation of it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so uh, I think- is that the
2: same for you? Jeremy? Same exact. Yes. What, what, all through what was school, the, you were kind of you straddled because I did the same thing. and I'm not a up, but mm-hmm. uh, but I, I I straddled the the I had the nerdy brainy guys on one side. I, I like to tell people that. Um, I hung out with this. I was the dumbest guy in the group of the smartest guys at school. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, I was the I was the one that had the A minus, and they all had the A's it's and A plus. Like the
1: worst neighborhood and the uh, worst house in the best neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I was
2: the dumbest guy of the smartest. <laughs> okay, kids. I got it. And mm-hmm. then, but but the jocks liked me, and the popular girls mm-hmm. liked me. But that's just because they could feel like they could talk to me, and I was not a threat. So yeah. I kind of had this circle. I was in the middle. If it was a Venn diagram, I was kind of that little circle in the middle that touched mm-hmm. on all. All of them. Exactly. Was, yeah. The orchestra geek, but I didn't get made fun of that much because I was, I guess I was kind of funny. Is that kind of what you guys are talking about? Yeah, I think
0: about? that that's part of being an entertainer is yeah. that you're not polarizing, but people are comfortable with you and like everyone's comfortable with you. Like not, you're not threatening. Like, I mean, there's plenty of different sides of entertainment, but that's just how it was for me. I didn't, and I was student body president because I was in all the smart classes, but I was friends with all the jocks and then I did theater. So it's like you did all this, you just knew everybody. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, same. There, yeah, there's, there is, that, and that relates to what you guys are talking about with your material, is that mm-hmm. uh, y- you have to find a way to relate. I mean, you can have your niche, and you can have your image and your thing, your if it's a gimmick or whatever it is, but it still has to relate to a fairly large group of people. I, mm-hmm. I was listening to a different podcast, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Somebody was talking about Richard Pryor when he broke through. Did you ever see him live, Joe? Not live, oh. no. No. Um, and I I was trying to kind of wrap my head around how did he break through when he was doing something so specific mm. to his life and growing up in in a in a brothel and having a terrible childhood and those and and a very specific African American experience that a a a white kid from Texas could not possibly relate to. But I so responded to that material. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I still I'm not quite sure. I think how you respond
0: he, to the underdog part of it. Is I that think it? that's what it is. I think it's likeability. like the, the likeability, the phoenix rising from the ashes. Like we we all feel like we have this struggle and whether it's not as grand as someone else's you can still identify with that struggle right. and I think that that's what people identified with about Richard And the, but then also like I didn't feel like he was threatening like he wasn't menacing looking yeah. and even though he was talking about all this stuff he see, he was just like this tall skinny kind of lanky guy Vulnerably vulnerable vulnerable and, uh, and talking about that personal stuff it makes people just relax a little bit because they don't feel like you're preaching at them right. they feel like you're telling a story about your own life and whether you like it or not like this right. is just what happened to them
2: because richard still he scared people because yeah. he was dealing with material that that people were also didn't...
0: shouting the n-word a lot yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which so, is scary and
2: that scared a lot of us <laughs> white folks yeah uh but you're right he and, and also just i mean we're missing the point here he was he was just freaking funny i mean yeah. Yeah, that stuff is just funny mm-hmm. but you're right i think that's it he wasn't uh he wasn't in your face about it he was
0: and kind he was of, awkward like he had a lot right. of, you know, like a lot of sound effects and stuff. That he yeah, did that okay. Was very the, awkward.
2: There's that vulnerability yeah. thing, mm-hmm. which is that we, that is something we can all relate mm-hmm. to of of feeling overpowered or feeling out of control or you know, um, yeah, I guess that's it. I but that's that's what's kind of again, you said, Sarah. What's interesting about comedy is that no matter what your perspective or where you're coming from, or reason, even as a female and talking about dating and mm-hmm. late or whatever. Uh, We can all wrap our heads around that in some way or relate to that in some way, uh, whether we've gone through the exact same experience or not. And there's also something fun about learning about somebody else's world. I mean, if somebody's doing jokes about, you know, something kinky or SNM or something, I may not necessarily be into that. But I'm going, oh, this is something... I'm curious about, but I don't, and yeah, I don't have to experience really it myself. Happens.
0: I think the strongest comics um you get to know on a personal level. Like the comics that have longevity are comics like Jim Gaffigan. We know his kids' names. You know what I mean? Like when you can't you know you, if you want to be successful in this business, you have to let people in. I mean, yeah. that's the whole goal of everything. And you, you can't just talk about grilled cheese sandwiches because people forget about that eventually. But they can relate to your wife and your kids or mm-hmm. your boyfriend or who broke up with you or, you know, your divorce. They can relate to all of that stuff. So once you make it personal, they feel like they're part of your life and they want it, they're want they invested, I guess.
2: Well, isn't that where Three Blonde Moms really kind of yeah. hit the the... Mm-hmm. The goldmine, yeah. Because you, 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 and it again. It's obviously you're not just having moms in there, although that is going to be the part of the audience that responds the strongest. But obviously, husbands and dads are going to totally relate sure. to it because yeah. you're, you've all been, you've, you had to have a husband or right, and, right, right. <laughs>
1: if you aren't a mom, you probably had a mom at some point or <laughs> some sort of you know, figure of that sort. Right. But,
2: and talk more about how you guys. Mm-hmm. conceive that and 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 what the goal was there I mean you just sure. you just saw that was obviously going to be a very relatable you know cross section of of people that did that all come out of your individual stand-ups you said you you talked a little bit i created it actually right um
1: but uh, the i was doing solo stand-up for many years and then i became a mom and when i started talking about that on stage people were really identifying, like you were saying Mm -hmm. you go layers deeper and you're talking about what people go through on a daily basis their heads are nodding you know they're really identifying with it and um i just sat down one day because i've always been perky (laughs) i thought it would be great if i was like the martha stewart wannabe you know (laughs) that crafty mom but i'm always like failing like i walk out of the house with the velcro roller on the back of my head like i think right. i'm all together you know but i'm always wearing pearls and maybe i run the pta but not so well and um but crafty you know that mm-hmm. crafty mom so that was an easy character for me to slip into and then i thought it would be really funny to have two completely opposite gals than myself like a triangle you know and then i've always had that sort of hot mom in the cul-de-sac you know the mom that's always like yeah <laughs> not me Mm -hmm. Um, the mom that's you know that always with the nails somehow they have five kids but it doesn't matter they always look like impeccable you know and they always really take care of themselves Uh, right now it's Donna Cherry who's a former Miss California
0: so it's like perfect and she sings and she's just completely dinged out yeah yeah she sings you sing Sarah don't you sure do you sing in my car yeah Yeah. I'm really I sing loud and then nobody can tell that it's bad The louder you sing, people just don't realize. Yeah, a
2: lot of guys make careers out of that. (laughs)
0: Yes, I know. Some of them are my (laughs) friends.
1: (laughs) Oh, then there's always that feisty Mm -hmm. tell it like it is who usually goes at the end of the show. You know, It's like, all right, you heard enough of that already. Now I'm going to tell it like it is. And they might be a little more spicy. They talk about
0: redating their husband after many years with the kids and stuff like that. I so. think it's so interesting because I think as, as as human beings, we all feel so different all the time. And, like, we live on a planet where there's 7 billion people. But really, we're all human. We're all the right. same. And I think that that's why comedy is so infectious because... You know, we're like, I can relate to that. And it's like, yeah, because we're human. We relate yeah. to human things. Well, I <laughs>
2: think that, that's a good segue into the, the quote, the female thing, because um, so much has been talked about over the last couple of years. The Whatever the article was, or whatever, the, the guy, the Christopher comment... Christopher Okay, there we go. Uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 there are no female, funny female comedians. There are not as many of them or, or whatever. And I think one interesting thing that's happened over this past year, when Joan Rivers passed away, mm. uh, that conversation might have gotten started up a little bit more again because Mm -hmm. people were giving her a lot of credit for busting the doors open, Mm -hmm. not only in terms of just female comedians, but the the type of material and the delivery of it. um, it, it, She gets labeled as that female breakthrough comedian, but there was so much more to what she was doing and how she was doing it Mm -hmm. than just being a woman.
1: She would not take no. No. And you can't take no because we're all going to hear no. Right, and yeah. then you just go. Thank you for okay. saving me time, yeah. <laughs> and then you move on to the next door. Yeah, that's the only way you can do it. You but, know? Did,
2: but did you guys get a sense at any point that because you were a woman that you were looked at differently with, from the business standpoint or from the other comics? I mean, did you feel like that it was a struggle? Or obviously, there are going to be differences. Obviously, they're gonna, mm-hmm. there's misogyny and there's going to be, you know, mm. sexism and that sort of thing. Uh, but did you feel that that was a detriment? From keeping you to be keeping you from being successful at it, uh, because f- Joan, you've
1: worked to, uh, in like forty-seven states, probably, yeah. and I would say I've definitely heard some things that were odd. <laughs> yep, <laughs> in many categories. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I sit there, like, "Am I really hearing this?" Mm-hmm. I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm not saying I'm just saying like I have not heard some things right. that I've heard elsewhere. You talking about like? misogynistic thing, yeah misogynistic yeah. and uh everything yeah i mean, I mean racism is, along, is and, it along
2: the lines of uh you're funny for a woman that kind of thing yeah, so for, yeah it's, no, it's for sure always, funny for
1: women but i was a novelty act i mean i would i'd be like the novelty act it's mm-hmm. like oh well, we already have a girl on the show right there's always only
0: one yeah there's always a lot of pressure i think like uh for me i i definitely when i first started it was difficult but I just kind of took Chelsea's approach at the comedy store because that was like the most difficult place to get into as a comic and I was like well then that's the comedy club I'm getting into and it took me six years and I did it and you know when they put my name on the wall I cried and I was just like this is you know this is everything for me and but I would just do what chill. I would just go and be funny and leave right go be funny, leave, and eventually they ask you to stay and uh, it was definitely a boys' club, but i but because of that i don't I, have no, I never grew up with sympathy, you know it was always just my parents were very much like, nope, you can do anything any a boy can do you can do anything you know my dad didn 't have sons, it was just me and my sister, so we just grew up with this like gung ho attitude and uh, had to work my whole life and I put myself through college and I never you know i've never not had a job so when it came to comedy, it didn't seem like that much of a hurdle. It was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, just that's just the world. Yeah. Like the world is a hurdle for for women. Yeah. At there's going to be rude people. But, there's yeah. going to be people trying. There's always going to be that. You know, but it, in my no opinion, you. being a woman in comedy is an advantage, especially now. Like when you're good at it. Yeah. Nobody can compete with you, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how funny you are. You might be Patton Oswalt, but if they need a woman on that show, you can't be Patton Oswalt. You have to be Sarah Tiana. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like. <laughs> And that's just like how the world is. Like they, we need an eclectic range on every show, and and people come up to me at shows and like, I never think women are funny, but you're funny, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think women are funny either. I don't think people are funny. I don't like a lot of people. I don't think hardly anybody's funny. Uh, but statistically, there are more unfunny men than there are women because there are more men that do it. But when we <laughs> are
2: now, that is a, I want to yeah, yeah. go back. I want to go back to that statistic. That is the, one of the greatest responses I've ever heard. Yeah. to That say that again, Sarah. So Statistically,
0: there are more unfunny men than there are women because there are more men that do comedy. Uh, But I think as a woman, when you aren't funny, it sticks out and it leaves an impression. And I think the interesting thing about Christopher Hitchens article to me that I completely understood was that it's very difficult to laugh at a woman as a man because you are raised to be respectful and then when a woman is l- making you laugh and being vulnerable on stage, you don't feel comfortable laughing at her because mm. it feels wrong. It feels, like, mean. And uh, and so that's kind of a hurdle that you have to get over as a woman. And I think it's just any artist um, getting people to be comfortable enough with you that they can share your experiences and laugh with you. And I think the generation that we live in now is a lot different. Yeah. It's, like, not nearly as difficult as it might have been in, mm. in Joan's generation. But, mm. like, I, I was just, like... You know like to me I think I have an advantage but I also have an obligation because I'm always the only woman on the show right. so if if I'm not funny then people leave and they go yep women aren't funny man. Oh, yeah. you know
2: well Joan when you were yeah. coming up because we talked about this before you did have did you feel the pressure to have to create that character that incredibly intense perky just so you could stand out it was it as a woman uh, or was it as a comic or was it or is that just something instinctually you felt like people that,
1: would say it to me I'd come off stage and go you're so perky I'm like I'm perky <laughs> oh, yes <yeah. laughs> and and then it just, I just sort That's of how went you with said it. it. I'm Perky? <laughs> I'm Perky. What do you mean i Perky? You want some coffee? Yeah. <laughs> Have some chocolate. I am? I am yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: exactly. <So> <laughs> Dogs are barking off in the exactly. distance. Exactly. Like, nobody can hear your <laughs> like voice. I
1: could do like forty minutes in a minute. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, sure.
1: So uh yeah, they would just tell you, they'll tell you, you know, what yeah. you are, right, when you come on stage and stuff like that. But it is kind of a controlling, more powerful position to be a solo woman telling people things. I mm-hmm. think that's the uncomfortable part for guys maybe sometimes mm-hmm. back when or whatever. But when I first started doing three bomb Moms, there's three women on stage and we started in comedy clubs. So I did hear uh, oh three women What I'm like Yeah but we're totally It's a totally triangle mm-hmm. Three points of view We don't overlap It's amazing mm-hmm. You know we have Original scripting And then we come out And tell our stories And they're like Alright we'll try it And then people Were really responding You know But I had to Do it to prove it And now we do theaters And we attract A different audience mm-hmm. But in the comedy clubs At first they were nervous Of course And yeah. it hadn't dawned on me ever That being a woman Was right. even a thing Right Like you're funny And here we go Well it,
2: that's right Isn't it I mean yeah. you you. you Consciously, probably, you're not thinking in terms of that until you're told that. Exactly, I mean like, yeah. like you said, Sarah, until you get that, oh, you're funny for a woman. It's it's, oh it's the last thing you're thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I and, and but they never I...
0: say like you're funny for a black guy. And you're like, what? <laughs> <That's> his... <laughs> Who says that? You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Yeah. So. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't I didn't think I was doing comedy as a black guy. You know what I mean? Like you just, just not, I you're try doing and stay comedy. a little
1: chubby because yeah. chubby's a little funny. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I try. <laughs> so this is a choice actually. That <laughs> 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 I need to lose 20 pounds. Well, I think <laughs> back you, to
2: I think back to growing up and it seems strange to me only because there there were such high profile I mean, the I Love Lucy uh, reruns that were on oh, and yeah. her show in through the 70s that she got. And she was so iconic. Carol Burnett still to this day one of those things that I Love watching. I catch that infomercial, uh, and I'll sit there and get caught with that damn thing. And I watch those three. But she was such a strong and funny and wonderful presence. And right. Phyllis Diller was on TV when I was growing up. And I mean, th- there were very funny women there. And it just—it's—I've never quite understood where that came from, other than it's just a bunch of. Just grumbly old I think men. It's women
1: with points of view. Yeah, that's the scary part. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because hell so has no fury like the wrath of a yeah, woman. It's like so, you're telling me what? Yes. Yeah, so, so. so it's guys
2: who already have an issue with women, probably a, yeah. in the yeah. first place. It's yeah. just built in because, yeah. like we were talking about, you know, Prior goes on. He's a black man who's saying things nobody's ever heard before, but found a way to kind of break through. But if if a guy already has this issue, whether it's mommy issues or whether it's right. just Women issues because it's ingrained in them, they're just immediately, they're never going to yeah. be won over. Even
1: now, I'm doing the business for Three Bond Moms, and I am in the back room with the guy to get paid for the show. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes there's wrestling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they think they can get away with something. Yeah. You know, even the business part of it Are you now. Are kidding me? No, it's like, oh, so no.
0: funny, too, because if there's, if there's anyone that's more meticulous about money and finances <laughs> and like being organized. <laughs> I think it's pretty much a woman. It's like, it was always like my favorite joke that Brett Ernst did about like, uh, do you know Brett Ernst? He's a really funny comic, but he would talk about how like... uh, I would love it if there was a a woman president because we'd never invade another country. There'd just be countries we didn't talk to for a while. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, that's so true. Like, out. It would be so great if, like, if, we, but that's, I think that's what's scary is like when a woman runs the world, like things get done. And like, when a woman's like the head of a company, you, you, there's no wiggle room. Like, you're, you're not going to get. A, uh, you know you can a guy will be a softy but a woman it's like nope, this is my decision that's where you have to do yeah. go stand over there or you're fine. like it's scary a woman is yeah. scary and people forget that they go oh you look so soft and delicate i could bet i bet i could turn one over on you and then yeah. you're like no <laughs> now i'm never going to forget yeah.
1: Yeah, I had a haggle over chicken fingers <laughs> taken Uh-oh. out of my check <laughs> for oh my two God. hours once. And the other girl in the show came in. Uh, well, it was Victoria Jackson, actually, from mm-hmm. Saranella. She all was on right. my show for like two minutes. She had this ukulele <laughs> and that high voice. She goes, you better pay us all our money. She was like flailing this <laughs>
2: ukulele.
0: I never saw anything so funny in my life. Yeah. And so she goes, you're not taking a She was
2: brandishing fingers. her ukulele she literally, as a It weapon. was a weapon, her ukulele.
0: Yes. I love how like, um, comedy club owners, like there, a lot of them are men and they, they think that they can win a fight with you. And I'm like, have you ever had a girlfriend? <laughs> have you ever had a wife? You win those (laughs) fights. Then you have the mom card. Do you have children? Yes. Would you do this to your daughter? Would you?
2: I think that's it. They can't win them at home, so they think they can win them out in the real world. Maybe that's it. There you go. I don't know. It's just
0: uh, it's frustrating. But I think, like for me too, like we're talking about like the women in the '80s and stuff, and like how they definitely opened a door. But I think those women are so different than the women who are in comedy now. Like if you look at the the women, it was like a lot of lesbian stuff. Mm. And then it's like Roseanne, who's like this, like funny, jolly, like chubby, chubby housewife. <laughs> yeah. So like when it became like the Chelsea's of the world and Sarah Silverman's right. who like right. had this kind of more <gasps> attractive demeanor. Totally. I know what you're saying. I used to wear baggy different. suits.
1: I would mm-hmm. wear baggy suits to be less attractive.
0: I mean, I was yeah. pretty darn cute, like, you know, way back. And I would literally dress down yeah. to be fit more in. I don't so wear that heels I wouldn't on be stage attractive. because it makes people think that I'm trying too hard. Wow. it gives off this presence like oh she needs attention or and it's also like sometimes women get more upset about it than a man because yeah. they're like oh she looks hot i don't want my guy looking at her because i think as a woman you want every guy to want to have sex with you and you want every woman to want to be your friend See, that's your that's whole goal So
2: strange because i can almost guarantee you no male comic has ever had to worry about looking too hot on stage right. <laughs> before they do a set yeah yeah i hadn't even thought of that
0: it's yeah. like you have to just be very wary of, like, you know, you want people to listen to you and not just be staring at you. So, and you know, analyzing I never,
2: just a, just the, the never wear appearance. low-cut
0: stuff. I never, yeah. you know, like everything. I wear lots of jackets, you know, and then I can make fun of the jacket that I'm Paula Poundstone or whatever. And, like, <laughs> I can talk about how, like, people think I'm a lesbian all the time, you know, so because I wear tennis shoes every day and i you know, wear blazers. <laughs> Uh-oh, is that the sign? You know? No, but that's like that, but that, you know, at least it gives, it, you know, yeah. if people are looking at me and noticing what I'm wearing, at least I can talk about it and make them laugh at it and then they move on. Like once they've laughed at it, then they stop looking at it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of weird. Like then they're, then they're just like engaged and they just follow you on the road that you're on. So right. it's almost like you just have to call out the elephant in the room first and then you can move on and nobody sees the elephant anymore. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Let's
2: talk about the road a little bit because Joan you guys um take three blonde moms to all different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you're playing theaters now so mm-hmm. you yeah, forty seven states, she says.
0: Forty seven states and Canada. Whoa oh, so oh, you've On gone neighbors inter- to the north. You've gone right. international. Those little <laughs> dirty say. maples up yeah. there. <laughs> I've got a passport. (laughs) Canada is so funny. They have cheese whiz on tables there, and I asked the lady at the comedy clubs. Yeah, well, like I, I was in Calgary. You know how like they have jams in like the little packets, and they had cheese whiz at this place I was in in Calgary, and I asked the lady, I was like let's I get the jams thing. What's the cheese whiz for? And she looked at me like I was an alien from another planet. She's like, ah, you're toast. And I was like, all right, sorry. (laughs) Um, Ah, you're toast. I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Of course, that's for my toast. Cheese whiz for my toast. You just reminded me of a story.
1: We were working in Canada. I worked with a Canadian comic, um, Canadian comic, Lisa Gay Tremblay, who was one of the moms in my show in the beginning. Anyway, we toured through Canada and drove around, like on the road in Canada. I didn't know where I was, but it's very Rural, like yes. in
2: the
0: middle. I had no idea. It's no, you, you get it's over country. a certain
2: parallel along that kind of close to the border, and you it, get to it,
0: Saskatchewan, it, and you're like, "Wow, oh there's my banjos gosh. here for sure." Like people are bo- like born <laughs> having bathed, moose, moose birthing, and banjos. Yeah, birthing <laughs> banjo. Our car broke. That we were doing the dart boards next
1: to our head on stage gig, sort of. Oh, like, I see. Uh-huh. They had yeah. told people not to play darts while we were on stage.
0: And so, <laughs> you you, you know that, darts. that you hear. <laughs> yeah, it's that Blues Brothers chicken like, wire show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: It was not good. Lots of baseball caps. No yeah, problems. but uh, so it was two gals, which was unusual, right? So we're my car. Our car broke down in the middle of nowhere, and we were in sweats, and we, you know, no makeup, and our hair, you know, the cr- scrunchie. And th- these guys pulled over, and they said, "Do you need some help?" And they said, "Yeah, we're comedians." They're like, "No, you're not." You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're so, really so, comedians. Play. So we pull out our headshots. <laughs> They're like, that is not you. We're like, no, that's us. You know, like posing, you know, and everything. Because there's totally glamour headshots and everything. But we were – that was uh, quite a tour. But – I'm sorry. Well, you had a question about the 47 I don't, I don't
2: know. This is so fascinating. I'm like, doing the
1: theaters now. It's a different – I draw because the 8.30 and 10.30 shows at the comedy club, like the early show our audience would come to. Right. But 10.30, yeah. like moms aren't you know, going out. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. at 10.30. So eventually we evolved into the theaters because we were selling out. And Now I only have to do less shows. Great. You know, like I'm
0: going – I don't want to brag again, but I'm in Manitowoc,
1: Wisconsin next week. <laughs>
0: No, but that's the whole goal. Like, people go, like, what's your goal in comedy? And I'm like, well, I don't want to do 37 weeks a year. I'd like to do 37 dates. Right. That's my goal. Like, How many, I, how many uh,
2: dates are you doing right now?
0: Uh, probably, I, I guess, like, twice a month I go on the road. Yeah. I try not to go more than that because I, you know, I'm always going to be old enough and ugly enough to do the road. Like, it's not going anywhere. I don't need to... I just only be cute enough to be on TV for so long, so I try to so stay. So you're here. staying in LA. <laughs> yeah, I try to stay here for <laughs> auditions and stuff. It's hard, you know. Yeah. That's where I make my money. Well, actually, not anymore. TV doesn't pay anything, but people think that you're like rolling in the dough. And I'm like, I make two hundred forty dollars when I do Chelsea. <laughs> like, it's a balancing act, right? Yeah. You get the exposure, and then book. Yeah, that's what. That's how yeah. they get you. They go like, "Well, we don't want to pay you much because you're getting exposure." And I'm like, "On what?" Yeah. On like a network where like not even a million people, people are. You have 300,000 people watching this show, you know, which seems great. But are those people, they're all spread out all over the country. right? So you and might you... get one or two in the town that you go to. Like that, It's really not that helpful. Well, if you
1: make it out <laughs> to Manitowoc, you can open for us.
0: Okay, I'd <laughs> love that. I'll just talk about how I hate kids. No, I'm just joking. It's going to be so I cold. It. Yeah, right. it is so You can cold.
2: be the counter to the three blonde moms. You <laughs> yeah. go, I'll, I'll never have kids. I yeah. hate kids. No, Please. no, no.
0: <laughs> I do. I love kids. It just, I don't know. It's gonna. I, you have to get a boyfriend first, apparently. Sometimes that helps. Oh, I worked for a while I got until a, I yeah. started that journey. How old were you when you... Uh, I'm going to say yeah. I was well, older. Where, when did you get married or did you uh, get married? Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excuse we're, us, Larry. Uh, we're having a
2: moment. No, okay. I'm, do the math I'm just in hoping my head. that Grace isn't learning something brand new that she's not yeah, supposed yeah, to I hear. Can't. Her
1: daddy, well, her is, real real daddy, daddy really is not really...
0: <laughs> is in Manitoba. <laughs> that's why I'm on tour there. Where is yeah, Manitoba? That's why I'm turning. I'm going to yeah, find he the Daddy. Yeah, he helped fix our car in Canada. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Canadian. <laughs>
2: it was the only way we could get directions. <laughs>
0: Let's yes. just say she could live up there yeah. without a problem. <laughs> Passport. Oh, <poor>
2: grace. <laughs> yeah, she oh, really so to much me. therapy ahead for you, dear. <laughs> Yes, but there wasn't already.
0: See, I think that I have like a big problem, and I don't know if you experienced this, but like when you're a funny woman and you're successful, it's very intimidating for men because I always talk about how like men like to be taller, they like to be stronger, they like to make more money, and they like to be the funny one, and I take one of those away sometimes too, depending on where you wait tables, and I, you know, like there's nothing I can do about that, and and yeah. I, it's 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 hard, you know, but it's also like. You know it's intimidating because I'm on stage, and I also I hang around with men every night. I go on the road with men. Well,
2: are you also are you one of those that say I can't date comics? I can't be in the same business. I used business. to, but yeah. now
0: I don't because now I'm open to that because it's like well we're also older, and I'm not going to be dating pool. an open mic or, You know what I mean? Like I'm going to be dating a comic that I respect. Who I really, you know, like look up to. Yeah. I have to. That's like, I feel like for a woman to feel love, we need to be held and touched and stuff. But for a man to feel love, he needs respect. And so I have to, like, be proud of you and be bragging about you in order to really want to date you. Mm-hmm. And I it, met but, my husband
1: in Vegas, by the way.
0: Oh, you did? Yeah, Vegas. I was performing at the Comedy Stop in Vegas, and oh, he the was the food and beverage director at the Tropicana. Fancy!
2: This is is so romantic. I know, I know. know.
0: And then he brought me extra chicken
1: fingers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm all about those chicken fingers. Ah, I love chicken fingers. Oh, that's a way to
2: Joni's heart in the chicken fingers. That's my
0: favorite part about working the theaters. It didn't smell like chicken fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Like when I walked inside the room. Comedy club food is amazing. The comedy store just got food. And we don't have, uh, we just have microwaves in the back, too. Like, I don't even know where the food is coming from Uh or how. I think they have a fryer, maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't think you've ever heard anybody say, let's go to so-and-so comedy club, the food there is amazing. Yeah, there's only
0: a few. Like, Flappers here has the best food hey, I've ever had food. at a comedy club. Yeah, yeah, Flappers. That's, a that's a used to be a, a macaroni grill, so they have a really great kitchen. Oh! That's, yeah. that's
2: it. You probably... Most comedy clubs have, like you said, microwave and a deep fryer, yeah. and that's about that's it. That's
0: about it, yeah.
2: Everything else is coming out of some package. They're popping in there. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah, you know,
0: and this is $11 for a sausage biscuit, and you're like, I don't think this is <laughs> a good deal. Sausage biscuit.
1: Someone runs to Jack
0: in the Box and yeah. gets your order. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Well, speaking of foreign countries, we we, we we bagged on Canada a little bit. Wait, uh, are you still going overseas? Have you yeah. uh, done stuff for the troops? I haven't can...
0: been overseas in a in at least. This is a Sarah year. I'm talking to. Yeah, this is me, Sarah Tiana. It's Veterans Day today, yes. so oh, uh, yes. I've done ten military. That's your tours. camo
2: Top Gun cap. Yes. I Yes,
0: yeah. And my dog Top Gun's my favorite movie. My dog's name is Aww. Lieutenant Pete Mitchell. But I call him <laughs> oh. Maverick. Um, but yeah, did he yeah, go, yeah. Did
2: your dog go through the military? Is that an official I mean, title?
0: I salute him. He's my wingman. Okay. Uh, but no, he's he's not uh, disciplined enough That's right. to be in the
2: military. But you tell me, tell me about the places. Some of the places you performed. Uh, this is pretty well, cool. my first
0: place was in Iraq, and that was in 2005 when Saddam was still alive, which was very interesting. Um, he was we had just captured him, and uh, he was still alive. So that was like that was like crazy like shots being fired at you a lot you know like you're in the going over the green zone you have to fly in blackhawks and twos so that you can protect each other and uh the flares went off one time and we had this major with us his name was major hater which was so funny and everyone called him major hated because no one liked him he was such a square and he would like <laughs> he just was like an office guy but he was like on mwr duty which is where the tours from will for recreation that's like the department that puts on the shows and so uh the flares go off and we're like, What does that smell? And he's like freaking out. And we're like, if the major's freaking oh, out, no. we yeah. should probably Oh, freak no. Out. But I always felt safer over there than I do in America because so many people are looking out for you. And yeah, they, you've you know, really
2: got a lot of protection.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean we would they don't even do convoys anymore. We used to do convoys all the time where you're like in a the craziest bulletproof, you know, caravan and like they're just circling like you're in a line in a caravan and you're in like a bulletproof vehicle like the, what the president would be in and like then there's humvees just like circling the caravan it was crazy wow. and um And then, uh, yeah, but, you know, we were flying in all these cool planes. I went to Afghanistan. I've been to Djibouti. I've been to the whole South Pacific, like Okinawa and Singapore. And I almost died in a plane crash going from Singapore to Diego Garcia on a C-130. That was interesting. And,
2: uh, yeah, I just uh, –
0: I feel very uh, comfortable over there. And that's because I grew up in a small town where we had recruiters in the lunchroom. And in my town, you know, when when they say that it's not a draft, I really don't feel like it is – that's true because in i think it's like a poverty type draft because in my town people would be like well do you want to be a factory floor manager or a hero wow. and you're like well wow. i want to get out of a town and i never you know so then you have these 18 year old kids that you know, them, don't really have any other opportunity. Right, it's the only or they, way they out.
2: get you know the the college, the GI bills, and all the yeah. different uh, options. Their only they're, way they're kind of giving them those. It wasn't as, as crazy incentives.
0: in Georgia. You know, when I was growing up, we had the Hope Grant, but we don't have that anymore. The Hope Grant was something that Zell Miller started and that Bill Clinton tried to implement. But I went to college for free. Um, on the HOPE grant, which you just had to keep a B average and your parents had to make less than $100,000 a year. They brought in the lottery to the Southern Baptist State of Georgia and the lottery paid for everything. But now, of course, the... Candidates have like taken the money and gone elsewhere. My sister's a teacher, so she's like,
2: "Oh, you must be very upset
0: about it." Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So I feel like a lot of those guys like really didn't have a choice, and that's why I wanted to go out there, and I also just wanted to hear for myself what was going on. And that's the best part about being a comic is because we're always meeting with the brass, we're always meeting. And my uncle's a two-star general, so I've never had any fear about talking to. The higher of uh, you know, echelon of the military, and I have no problem asking, How much is that? How much does that cost? How much fuel is in there? Where are we getting that from? And it's very cool because they'll answer the questions because I'm an American citizen and they have to answer my questions. Oh, yeah. But Ooh. also, like, um, they uh, it's very interesting. Like, you learn th- like, y- y- you think that we're just squandering money because you see, like, how much, like, um, Dick Taney's company like charged us for all this stuff, but then you see, like. There's a, you know how we have like 11 aircraft carriers? Uh, So those are extremely expensive. And when we bring uh, MRAPs, which are like the big uh, vehicles, we have to ship those over new planes or whatever. Uh, What we'll do is we'll rent space on the aircraft carrier for other countries, like a FedEx truck. And so we'll deliver stuff to them. So it almost pays for the trip. So it's like when you, when you ship something with FedEx, you don't pay for the whole truck. You pay for a space right. on the truck. So in essence, we're like a FedEx truck sometimes. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like we're making money off of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, I get all excited. But then you actually meet, I meet a lot of locals. You think that like... Everyone hates us, and like but the, it's like no, there's no people. people are people people are people, and they love us, and I was in so many of those hospitals, and you lots of local people mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll just drop off people in front of the base if they get hurt because they mm-hmm. don't have hospitals or they mm-hmm. can't get into, and then of course we bring and them we'll in and fix them up and take care of uh, them and well, whatever right. we can you don't hear about those guys they are never on the news, right you know what I mean, the guys that are fixing up you know car crashes just that they find on the side of the road. I mean, they are an incredible group of people. Yeah, There's a group called Team Rubicon. I actually flew on an airplane with the guy that mm -hmm. uh, created
1: this, and they're all vets. They're Marines, and they're the people that he created this organization, Team Rubicon, that is uh, the first team that goes to any natural disaster anywhere mm-hmm. first before Red Cross, yep. they're just they don't get I've paid. Never heard of that? Yeah, I know. It was it's kind of in the last few years. I flew with this guy and I was like, who is this guy? He was like, <laughs> he was so like, are you a model? <laughs> yeah, <hello. laughs> so, I wasn't hitting on him, but uh, well, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, no, but he was just so stoic, and he, we started talking, and he said, well, I do kind of a charity thing, and I go, oh, I do a lot of fundraising and stuff. We started talking. He said, I created something called Team Rubicon. And it's all uh, vets that are Marines that go in and they just get fund funding mm-hmm. however they can. And before Red Cross or anyone goes there, they just fix stuff. They help people. They build, move pillars. Whatever needs yeah. to be done, they just go in there
0: first. They're, like, amazing. I know. I wish that, that uh, the news reported on that more. You know what right. I mean? It's very – like, you think you have this perception of, like, what goes on over there um, because of what you see on TV. And then you go over there, and then you're in the in the DFAC, which is the dining facility, and, like, the they're watching The Daily Show. They're laughing. They're watching Colbert. And you're like, wow. I mean, I didn't think you guys were allowed to watch this at all. You know, you, you don't realize that they're just – Kids and boys yeah, and human just, beings and they need to be yeah. you
2: know distracted and entertained. The hardest and,
0: part is that um, so many of them like they're I, you know it's the suicide rate that's happening now because like what's happening is America continues to call these guys heroes and make them feel more heroic than they actually feel and that's that seems to be to me what the biggest problem has been with PTSD is like these guys, a lot of the guys never even fire their weapon, they never even, some of them never have a weapon, because you go into like these, say you're in Kandahar, there's 30,000 people on that base, those guys never really leave that base they're there to put up power and uh, do a lot of the office stuff, and like fly a desk, you know what I mean? Right. And and they're there to supply stuff to the FOBs, which are the forward operating bases that have like two, three hundred people. And then those FOBs supply the patrol bases, which have like twelve guys. And those are the guys that are in the in the dirty, dirty. You know, like those are the guys mm. like doing like the crazy who have to grow beards and like be embedded and You're stuff. Right, right. And and it's like these guys have to be away from their families. That mm. should be enough. But then they get come they come home and then they're they're called a hero, right. and they don't feel like that, and then they get super depressed, and then that's when they.
2: Well, and then they're ta- and they're taken out of the the rhythm and the structure of what they've had, right. and, and it's And it's one thing to be called a hero, and then to have no support in any other way. Too. And talk right. about the
1: support. Um, our show attracts uh, women. Uh, like during mm-hmm. the week, we have girls' nights out. I would say 80% in certain cities are military wives. Yeah you know and yeah. they are strong and supportive and amazing women the mm-hmm. women that support their they keep the family going they keep everything going while yeah. the guys are out there or girls whichever it happens to be
0: it's so interesting when i was in uh germany i was there for um they have a uh, that's where a big um uh, their biggest hospital is so if anybody when, as soon as you get blown up in iraq or afghanistan you go to germany immediately and they try to piece you back together before they send you to um, Bethesda, which is where the hospital is now. Now that Walter Reed is gone. Yes, we did shows there. Yeah, Bethesda. Yeah, Bethesda, Maryland. Amazing. I know. know. It was amazing. Amazing.
1: We got a tour because we do the show 90 minutes a night and we got a tour. Like All the Navy people came Mm -hmm. and took us. We
0: could see Saturn through like the original
1: telescope in America. It was amazing.
0: I have to go to those hospitals all the time and the, what's crazy is that you have to ask them what happened because the more they tell the story the easier it is and mm. then I would be like making fun of them you know one guy like had like a uh, a scorpion bite like he almost like lost his hand <gasps> and I just kept calling it a bee sting and I was like come on dude <laughs> and I like I rub some but, dirt know, on it it helps what? it helps because they they just want to be there like they're all mad that they have to be there and right. not with their their guys they're not mm. you know they don't want to be there and they don't want to call their mom like that's what Bob Hope used to do he used to go in and get them to tell the story and then he would call their mom for them because they just like i can't tell my mom that i got blown up you know what i mean like she'll freak out and and so that's the that's like the coolest part about everything it's just i stay in touch with them i mean i i i used to do this thing called merchy christmas where i get comics to give merch because that's something they the guys can't buy in a store and then i'd send care packages just full of like all this comedy merch to the bases but it's not as much of a need anymore because now guys have everything, you know? They right. really do. They have McDonald's and TGI Fridays on the base. Like, they eat better than I do sometimes. <laughs> laughter can just... Yeah. Laughter is it.
2: I was going to say, the response must be amazing when you the get there. The response
0: is amazing, and I'm lucky enough that I don't do uh, a lot of USO shows. I, do, uh, I work with a company called Comics on Duty, and what Rich Davis does, like, he is an American hero. Like, I should call him for Veterans Day today because... He puts together these shows, and he specializes in going to bases that no one gets entertainment at. Like, like so, we go to Fobs most of the time, and these guys, like, we would be on a stage that they had built just for our show, and they would tear it down as soon as we left. Wow! They they'd never get com- like the big bases always get stuff. They right. get Toby Keith. They get well, Toby actually does really small ones too. But like, that's where you're like big. Headliners go, but yeah, they don't go. For that, right. They don't go to the the small places. It's a lot more dangerous.
2: It's too hard to get there. And yeah, I mean, we up, would yeah. be on
0: bases where they didn't have uh, toilets. You know, we you ha- like, I got meningitis when I was in Afghanistan. Oh, congratulations! But thank you. Yeah, because there was just like a fire pit of feces. So fire to, pit of feces. You had to use oh, wow. a wag <laughs> bag, which is a waste alleviation. Wow. Um, something I forget what the G stands for. It's like a prison. I You'd assume. have to go into a. They made stalls. And they, see, they also have pee tubes all over the base, so the guys can pee in the tube. But if you're a woman, like, you can't... <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's hard to maneuver, and it's out in the open. And uh, oh, so God. you'd have to take a bag, you put it over the seat, and then you use the facilities Here's more the bag. of the stuff
2: you don't see on the news. <laughs> yep.
0: And then you have to put, like, a gel and a powder in there and then seal it up and throw it into Whoa. this fire pit, right? Well, if it's full, if it doesn't have heavier merchandise in there... <laughs> It doesn't exactly oh. carry, so it'll the wind will blow it away, I and mean, you have to like chase it down a bit. It's like, uh, but it made the guys laugh harder than our show. I think just seeing us try to use the wag bag <laughs> facility.
1: Yeah, <laughs> similar story when yeah. we
0: took Grandma out to see. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> a whole different. Yeah, yeah. sure. Oh, I was yeah, ask. Grandma's Not in my eyes. Enough. Do you
2: have Joan? Do you have a comparable fire pit of feces story to tell? I, you
1: know, sadly not military related but prison related not that I was there uh-huh. but I we do comedy and like the, the elite of the prison system mm-hmm. I teach sometimes like on weekends they oh, have nice. groups that do that mm-hmm. and yeah. I went up to uh, what was it Chowchilla I guess women's prison right, or right. whatever about a year ago and <laughs> Am I it was to it? Well, yeah. it, it's like Gidget oh, I'm goes a to prison over there.
2: it's like <laughs> yeah. Gidget goes Gidget to prison Gidget goes to prison
1: yeah I brought Danish no I was <laughs> <laughs> little crafting <Thank> things <laughs> a bedazzler <laughs> So sweet, but I walked in and it was like they were so grateful that we were right. there. But one thing that took me by surprise was they can't go into bathrooms because they could get killed, right. you know. And there was this giant pit, and all I saw was a little wall and heads. And I went, "What is that? Are they having a little meeting? Is there sort of a program? They're praying? That's the bathroom." It was like they all have to go, like, just staring at each other in in this big, like, pit. So anyway, that was my bathroom-related story that was not (laughs) pleasant. But they were so grateful, and they were so funny. Talk about raw and stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable and so healing. Yeah. It was so healing for them to be go up there and actually see the flip side, the humor of this crazy life that they're, mm-hmm. you know, in. And some of them should be there. And then some of them were just kids that were like yeah. on a bad date with a bad boyfriend or something yeah,
2: get and with bad and lawyers. Something. And yeah. yeah,
1: oh, it was devastating. Definitely. Yeah enlightening. Yeah,
2: devastating and wonderful. Well, you guys get to experience some really interesting stuff. This is an odd way to wrap up this thing, but we've been talking for an hour here. So, where else? What other road trips and prisons will you be (laughs) having coming up Joan, where, where is oh. Three Blonde Moms going to be?
1: Uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> what, is that, what is that gig?
1: It is, I believe it might be the capital of uh, Wisconsin, Manitowoc. No, no, no it's Kenosha. not. Madison what is? is. Madison. Are you sure, Madison?
0: I've Manit- only been to Kenosha. Are you positive? What? i only really? been to Kenosha. We did a soup <laughs> investigate there. No,
2: Madison is the capital of Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So I know, we're I am, not I there. I'm <laughs> a nerd about capitals. I've never really? heard of
0: Manitowoc. I would surely know if that yeah. was capital. Oh, it's Catholic. the Capitol Theater oh, in I Manitowoc.
2: See. Oh, well, there you go.
0: So that's it. They're, they're just nice. trying to
2: fit is in. Is it a suburb of Madison? I don't even know. We, we, I we've been
1: there. It's a return gig. It's a return great. booking, which is great, right? That's <laughs> yeah. a compliment. And a compliment. Um, the fact that we're at the end of November in Wisconsin, I'm going to have to go to- Oh, good Lord. I know. To Burlington Coat Factory and stock up. <laughs> Because and I'm where from can California? Ooh,
2: where can people find you on uh, on the social media and the and the uh, w- worldwide interwebs?
1: Okay, so on Facebook, it's an artist page called Three Blonde Moms, and definitely like us there. We have fun pictures and um, everything, you know, mom related, sexy pictures. And, uh, that's sexy, what she's trying uh, to say. Yeah, well, she just one of the moms. Out, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the I cover mom. up. I cover up a lot of <laughs> turtlenecks, um, and, and then uh, website. Three, the number three, blondmoms. Make sure you do the the uh, number three, because if you do the word three, you'll get it's a hold of set with of moms. An e, Blondes with an e, the fancy yeah. blonde. Oh,
2: mm-hmm. oh you, so you're saying if you spell out three, that you you'll go get to the other mom website. Okay, Uh-oh. some moms have a little more <laughs>
1: spare time.
2: Right. Well, I'm going to double check that just to make sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, dude, you do some research.
2: And Sarah Tiana, where can people find you?
0: Ah, uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I post all my shows there. It's just Sarah Tiana, Sarah with an H, Tiana with a Tiana. And then it's also <laughs> the same on Instagram, saratiana.com It's all the same, just my name. And then uh, I'll be at the Comedy Store this week. I, I don't think I have a show until um, right after Christmas in uh, Phoenix. So I'll be there. I won't be... Yeah, I don't think I'm. Oh, I'm. Yeah.
2: And can we see you uh, on or in anything else up to then?
0: Oh yeah, you know I'm on a new show called How to Be a Grown Up, so that's on True TV, and uh, that's the only thing that's out right now. Cool. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: oh, I'll be in Orange County, I guess. I should do my solos. Yeah. I, guess, I don't know. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. It's Tiana
2: with a T. No. <laughs> no. What? Are you guys doing a tandem show now? Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. I just
1: changed it. It sounds prettier. Yeah. It's <laughs> JoniFagan.com. <It's, laughs> JoniFagan.com. Yeah, and then I'll just have my little solo career, too. And I had a vodcast, which is a video podcast, The Joni Show. Oh, great. Yeah. Where is that? It was John Lovett's uh, Comedy Club. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, so anyway.
2: Well, check these people out. I'm so glad you guys got to meet, too, because uh, yeah, it's, it's I kind, know. Of kind of fun to compare notes on, on your different paths and stuff. And this is, I mean, really cool stuff. Thank you for talking with us on this. And we'll uh, we'll have you back. Awesome. All right. Thank well, you, Larry. With, with others. All right. <laughs> <laughs> with more. All right. We're done. That's the awkward ending to this. Get a monkey. Get a monkey.